Welcome to Innovate for Impact, an informative mini-series brought to you by Tanya Gomez Consulting. In this series, we embark on a journey to explore the remarkable innovations that are shaping the landscape of the NGIS for a more inclusive future. Join us as we uncover inspiring stories of visionary individuals, organisations and technologies that are revolutionising the way we approach disabilities. Today, I'm sitting down with Greg and Linda from QSSS. QSSS. Yes, and we're talking about your innovative person-centred practice model today. Do you want to first introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about you, and then talk us through this innovative model that you use? Sure. Well, I'll go first. My name is Greg Fikuri. I'm the Chief Operations Officer for QSSS. So I I guess um, oversee a lot of the um, the more operational side of things, the doing of the do for each each of the day. We've got a pretty good, pretty awesome team um, around us. So we've got, we're only a small core group of people, but um, you know, um, it's really makes my job a lot easier with the the crew that we've got. Wonderful. Oh. Yeah. And I'm CEO and managing director. I'm one of four directors with QSSS and. Um, I lead the wonderful team that, that um, keep the um, original purpose alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what does QSSS stand for? Well, it just stands for QSSS. Okay. So we were, we were founded in Queensland, so the, it used to be Queensland Support Services and Solutions, and okay. no one could remember that name. Yeah, okay. So when we bought it and we went national, yes. we decided to honour the Q, the Queensland, the Q. Um, but we're definitely a national company now. Yeah, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And tell me the story. Where did QSSS start? Well, QSSS was founded in 2009 by a wheelie who wouldn't take no for an answer. Mm. So Louise, when she was about 13, she went to bed one day as a normal child, in her words, mm. um, able to walk around, run around like any other child, and woke up the following morning unable to move from her neck down. And as you can imagine, she was frightened and her yeah. family didn't know what was going on. Louise is 75 now, so this is some time ago. Yeah. And uh, she was in New Zealand at the time and her parents took her to hospital and the doctors, as they did in those days, said to mum and dad, you just forget you've had Louise, um, leave her here, we will look after her, you go and live your life because she's never going to be able to do anything or be anything. And even at that young age, Louise had this dearly determination about her. Mm. Um, and she said, hell no, you're not leaving me here, Mum. I'm, I'm going home, please take me home. And they took her home and I think the parents also had that same steely determination because they bucked the system, so yeah. to speak, to take her home. And, well, long story short, she went to school, mm. she became a social worker and she worked her way up in a career in disability in New Zealand. And then she decided to come to Australia, where she thought she was coming to a bit more advanced country. Um, And she found out it wasn't as advanced as she once thought. And that's where her passion was ignited. She was actually invited to a roundtable conversation in Canberra, where the country was struggling with what do we do with this world of disability before NDIS was born. And, uh, And she wheeled herself up to the table and someone came and sat beside her and said, what are you doing here? And she said, what do you mean, what am I doing here? And he said, this is for professionals, not participants. Mm. 
Well, you can imagine mm. how she responded to that. Yeah. I think he went out with his tail between his legs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> she basically said, this is, the, I am more professional than you will ever be. Yeah. And you should leave the planning to, yeah. about this country's disability mm. um, quagmire yeah. to people who actually know what it's like to live with a disability. Mm. And uh, she said, that's where my passion was ignited mm. because I knew that Australia needed to fundamentally change the way they think and feel mm. about people with a disability. Mm. And so she went out, she said, Linda, I went out and I became a DSQ auditor. Mm. And I said, how did that go for you? <laughs> she said, well, uh, it was quickly noticed that it was a tick the box scenario. Mm. Um, I wasn't having any impact mm. on people's lives. And I said, yeah, well, I understand that because I was on the other side in corporate roles, mm. ticking the boxes and not really making a whole lot of difference to the way services were delivered yeah. at that time. And I said, so what, what, what did you decide to do? So she actually set QCCLS up originally as a learning organisation. Mm. So she was going out teaching providers how to deliver supports in a way that didn't take away choice and control, yeah. but left the choice and control strictly with the client. I said, how did that go for you? And she said, uh, not so good. Mm. I talked till I was blue in the face. And yes, people changed their rhetoric. Mm. They changed the way they talked about delivering services, yeah. but on the fundamental, on the ground services didn't really change. Mm. And she said, so what I had to do is I had to go out and demonstrate. Mm. The only way I was going to show Australia how we could do things differently was to demonstrate it. So she went and found five people, one of which is still a client of ours today. Yep. Five people who entrusted her with their funding, yep. which was not NDIS at this stage, it was mm -hmm. before NDIS. And she set up services for those five clients with a model that remains today. Mm. And that is that when a client comes to QSSS, we get to know the individual, mm. not the disability. Yep. We get to know what lights up their life. Mm. What do they need in their life that will help them to live their life however they want to live their life? Not how we think they should live their life, mm. which is fundamentally different to yeah. a lot of providers. Yeah. And she did. And what she did is she went out and she went to market for a team around that client. So mm. the client interviews the staff, selects the staff, and then QSSS employs them. Mm. A bit like having your own ABN team without the risk of an ABN worker right. that's not regulated. Mm. So very, very, very simple model. And um, she went on and she grew the business. She transitioned it through NDIS, which is awesome because a lot of small providers didn't survive that time. Mm. And um, when she got to the age of 70, she said, it's time we change. Mm. I need to sell this business. I need to live my life, she mm. said. So she went out and tried to find someone to buy the business. Um, and she said a lot of people wanted to buy her business because it was a good little business to buy but not many people that she wanted to sell to yeah. she wanted to protect yeah. that heritage yeah meanwhile I had left a corporate career because I had been sick of sitting in front of clients who um, fundamentally would say to me Linda you say you're going to send staff between 8 and 12 for my shower I'm lucky if they come between 8 and 12 and often I don't know the face that knocks on my door. Yeah. And then you expect me to get undressed and do the most personal things yeah. for me and I don't even know their name. Mm. And I'd go, yeah, that's not good enough. Mm. I'd go away and I'd try to make change 
But in the big corporate world, it's very hard to actually make functional change like yeah. that because of the way EBAs are set up. And it's not to say they're doing anything bad. They're just doing what they've always done. Yeah. And it's how that organisation needs to work. I got sick of doing that, so I walked out and I was sitting at home wondering <laughs> what I'd do with my life. Mm. And long story short, through, through our connections, we ended up meeting Louise and um, I told my story, she told her story. And she said, um, we were both in tears because <laughs> I had found a model that I'd been trying to set up for the last 20 years mm. functioning yeah. in this company. And she had found someone who was tr truly passionate about delivering that kind of service. So mm. she allowed us to buy the business. Mm. So two years ago, ish. Ish. <laughs> um, yeah, we bought the business off Louise and we still function exactly the same way. Mm, amazing. Mm. Mm. So talk to me more about the, the model. So essentially, uh, the participant and the provider together are interviewing the staff and then you're hiring them so that they're part of those decisions. Yeah, yeah. so um, like what Linda was saying, it's, it's how, how we do go about it is um, we'll have that, that personal conversation with the, the client, with the participant, um, and essentially get to know them to the level in which we can go, all right, well, if you had a, you know, a shopping list of qualities that you want to see in a support worker, what would that look like? Yeah. Um, and guaranteed, you know, it, it'll be around the, the life sort of um, skills. So whether that is, you know, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy, I'm, I'm, I'm a really big coffee drinker, so I, I need someone who can sort of, you know, resonate with that. I, I, I love my rugby league or I love my AFL or I love my sports. Um, it'd be really cool if I could get a support worker who was into that sort of stuff or I'm into my arts and crafts or um, that is the primary sort of focus on where um, on, on our conversations and that isn't at the expense of what do you need functionally from a disability perspective it's just you know you you want to be able to connect with someone who walks through your front door you don't want a brick with eyes you don't want someone who's got the personality of a brick coming in and saying according to my tick sheet I need to do a b c d and e it's not a good experience for either party. We want to have a really good experience between both the, um, uh, the support worker and the client because you, know, you want to be able to have fun, you want to be able to like the person, and the only way in which you can do that is with that connection. And, and, and that's where our model really shines, is that you know, with that, that proverbial sort of wish list of the qualities of a support worker, we'll actually advertise um, through our advertising platforms, whether it's Seek, LinkedIn, whatever. Um, and you'll see in all of our ads, it's not come work for QSSS. Mm -hmm. It's all about, hey, here's a really cool, cool person who loves their footy, loves their arts and crafts, and loves a good laugh, but just so happens it requires assistance with personal cares, hoisting, or whatever, whatever you know, the technical side of things. Mm does this resonate with you come and apply and it just so happens that you you'd be employed by QSSS and here's all about us mm. um, what that does it not only gets um, uh, the potential applicant you'd hope excited about the prospect of oh yeah that person really resonates with me I, I reckon I can get along with this person so you've started to make that connection before they've even met them mm. so you know enough about them to go yeah I reckon I could really like this person mm. Um, and then we go through a, um, a recruitment pr process, which includes 
you know, we'll, based on, you know, the non-negotiables and the wish list, we'll go through all the resumes and go, yeah, this one looks like they're, they're of calibre, we'll do a screen on them. And so we'll, our staff will screen them, make sure that they're, you know, they're saying all the right things, mm -hmm. they're, they sound like a, a really nice person, they're personable, and then we'll send those resumes of those who, based on the criteria that the client has said to us, we'll send those that fit the criteria to the client and go, here's resume A, B, C, D and E, go and have a look, what do you reckon? Mm -hmm. And the client will come back to us and go, yeah, I really like A, not so much B, really like C, don't worry about D and E. And then we'll set up an interview mm. with the, the applicant and, the, um, and the, the client. And so the client will be the one who interviews mm. A, A and C and whichever ones. Um, and then they'll come back to us and say, you know, I really like them. I'd like them as part of my team. Mm. And so we'll form that team around them. It's not, they're not in, a, in a, the proverbial pool of you know, people who a lot of organisations have. You know, you'll do, you've got a pulse. Go and see Mary over there. It's actually, this is a team around them. Yeah. And so the only person that comes into the home is somebody that that client has actually handpicked themselves. Mm. There are some clients who go, you know, I don't want to be a, you know, you, you just, you figure it out. I don't want to do all of this sort of stuff. And that's fine. We're happy to do that. Yeah. But we really do encourage, um, you know, the, the client to be as fully involved in which, in, in as much as they want to. And it even goes past that with, um, we'll work with them on a roster. And like what Linda was saying, we don't do here eight between eight and 12. We'll go, when do you need them? I need them at 10. Done. 10 o'clock. Um, whereas, you know, we're used to back in, you know, the corporate world of uh, somebody will come up to your, your place between eight and 12. They might rock up. They might not. They might be late. And so you've got a client who's sort of sitting around waiting for someone to come and do, you know, a basic thing like a, like a shower or, you know, help with um, cleaning around the house and you've pretty much your day's gone because you're still waiting there hoping that somebody's going to rock up. Yeah. And so how do you manage this from a increased cost perspective? Because obviously there must be an increased cost to go to market for every participant um, and to go through a full recruitment process as opposed to use the pool that you spoke of. Yep. Well, I think I'll answer that. You, can, you go right ahead. Our, uh, we, we don't have any offices. We are completely virtual. We don't have large corporate salary, salaries coming out of mm. our business. Our overheads are less than 10%. Mm. In the corporate world, they're up around the 30%. So our money goes back really to that sort of thing rather than fancy offices and mm. things like that. And it works. We don't charge anything for bringing on clients. We only charge the hours that are delivered in support work and we still make a living. Mm. So, yep, we're disrupting the system. Yeah, yeah. And one of the other things I was thinking as you were talking from a logistics, how, how does this work, is I, my first business ever was, I, I, it morphed into a recruitment agency, but it started by helping, I was an early childhood teacher, I helped mums find babysitters and mm -hmm. I helped them find nannies. Yep. And um, I had to have a limit in my business of how many resumes I'd send because mm. mothers, and I'm a mother of four, but mothers mm. are, are quite picky about who looks after mm. their children. And sometimes if I didn't give a limit, I could be sending them 10, 15, 20, 
people and they were just saying no for the point of saying no there was nothing you know wrong they were just wanting to see what else was out there mm. um and as, you know as a small business i couldn't continue just interviewing and interviewing interviewing without actually yeah. placing placing was the job and yeah. what i got paid for so my recruitment brain goes to you you said a b c d whatever it is and they don't like those ones which of course is is fine mm. but how does that make the process really long does that mean that you're not getting um supports to them quickly does that delay the process and is there ever a time that you say look we're not able to get you someone and maybe we're not the right fit because we have found multiple people but they weren't right for you hmm. so what we can be very agile hmm. so even though we've got teams around clients and that's their their personal team that doesn't mean to say that our star uh, our support workers don't see be on multiple teams um, there is flexibility well, well the conversation we have with clients and, and we have had instances where you know, we might get a call from a client or from a hospital saying, hey, we've got somebody discharging. Um, do you have capacity to provide supports? Mm. Next week. Next week, mm. which is always an interesting prospect. <laughs> but in saying that, we've got an awesome group of, uh, an awesome team of support workers and support specialists who oversee the support workers who will mobilize very, very quickly. And the conversation we have with um, clients is, you know, this is our, our model, this is how we, we like to operate, or this is how you know, it, it, it's worked in the past. What we'd like to do is potentially just grab some people from other teams for now, obviously with your permission of who it is. We'll put a team around you as an interim measure, um, and yes, just so that you can get home, because if it's a choice between staying in hospital yeah. and being home, and it might be people you don't know, yeah. Most of the time, I'd rather just be at home. I don't care at that point in time. And then we'll start that recruitment process. Um, you know, it might be that the people who are providing that interim support, you know, they really connect with, they really resonate with. That doesn't mean to say that, you know, the client can't go, well, actually, I, like, I really like Jerry there, or I like um, Susan. Can they be part of my team? Absolutely. Well, if they've got capacity, absolutely. Uh, and then we'll recruit, we'll, we'll start the recruitment process. We do have an approximate recruitment sort of time frame of anything of around four weeks to six weeks. Mm. Um, but like I said, doesn't mean that we can't mobilize QuickSmart. Yeah. Um, and even though that might sound quite uh, a reasonable amount of time, the thing is, is that we wanna make sure that we get it right the first time. Mm. Um, we wanna make, um, you know, it's, it can be very confronting, especially for those who have never had supports before. Uh, it can be a, you know, almost a, you know, nobody really likes to be reliant on other, well, no. you, reliant on others. Um, and so it can be very vulnerable situation having to be relied on things that, um, you know, whether it's to shower, whether it's to, to toilet or, you know, all of those really personal, intimate things, it can be quite a vulnerable sort of situation. Um, and so we want to make that as least intrusive as possible by getting it right the first time. Yeah. Right. And being done by being being partnered with people that they really resonate with, mm. because you can sort of cop it, you know, if things aren't done, as long as you have a great time. Because we've had clients in the past who have said, you know, I don't really care that the bench tops weren't wiped. I had a really cool time with this person. We'll worry about it next time. Mm. Um, as opposed to if you got a, you know, the client who's expecting a task because they don't connect with that person or a support worker who's got a task list and doesn't really connect with the client, yeah, you're gonna be fixated on the bench tops or you're gonna be fixated on the things that 
come secondary to yeah. the connection. Yeah, and it's you know the most person-centered place you could mm. be, right? It's all about yeah. the person. Mm. Yeah, and. What, what about your participants not selecting someone that you put forward after a recruitment process? Has that happened? It happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay, because mm. there's other people that those, those support workers can be presented to. Mm. Um, what we find, though, is that the, the ad almost self-selects mm. the right applicants, because there's already that in, initial mm. connection, I guess, yeah. from that. Um, yeah, it, it, it's also a really low turnover. So once you've got the team in place, I've never seen turn, turnover as low in all my... I've been in this industry too many years, 30-odd years, and this is the lowest I've seen turnover. Yeah, well, that was actually going to be it's, my next mm. question. It's incredible. Yeah. I, because there's a connection between... The, they don't really yeah. work for QSSS, they work for the client. Yeah. And so there's an emotional connection and it's harder to actually leave yeah. <laughs> um, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. I can see the benefit for the yeah. participant. Yeah. Um, you've explained the business case, I suppose, the, the benefit for the provider. Mm. Now the benefit for the staff, what, what else are the benefits for staff? You, you say it's a low turnover, so they're happier. Why yeah. are they happier? Um, because they've got that connection. Mm. So, you know, it's, it stops becoming just a job mm. so you know we've we've been in roles before where you know if you don't have that connection once again it's just oh, i'm here to do a task yeah what we're trying to do is flip that mm. what, what the the message that we we want um both the support workers and the clients to under well to at least appreciate is the fact that you know the support workers are coming in to actually make a connection it just so happens that they're doing a task while they're doing it yeah. and that connection might be something as simple as having a chat yeah. it might be as simple as playing a game of chess it might be simple as you know going out for an outing yeah. regardless of what that is the connection is the most important part yeah. um, once you get that connection it's it's really it's you think twice about whether or not you know you want to leave and that's not to try and you know you know, pigeonhole people into a role. It's it's just if you've got that emotional connection, it's almost like a breakup. <laughs> it's it's a it's a little bit like that. And and um, we still are very very strong on boundaries, mm. but not at the expense of connection. Mm. Um, and so yeah, we 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 love the fact that our support workers love their clients. Mm. It's not a dirty word, love. Mm. Um, and. Not only that, they are well supported by us as an organisation, um, really, really well supported um, by us as an organisation. And so you've got a twofold connection of not only to the organisation themselves, but also a client who you're mm. seeing each and every day. Yeah. And to the team that they're with. And to the team that we're, they're with, mm. yeah. So they become like a self-managed team. Mm. Yeah. And they can connect virtually with each other and replace each other and, mm. and all they need to, you know, if Linda's sick today, she messages the team and someone comes in and says, yes, I'll do your shift. And they sort it out and they just let us know and we change the roster, which yeah. is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't always work yeah. either. There are times mm. when the connection is lost yeah. and the client will ring us and say, this isn't working. Yeah. And that's totally okay. I guess it could be both ways. Yes, yes. it yeah. can be. Mm. Um, and we'll remove that person from that team. Doesn't mean they're removed from QSSS mm. necessarily. Mm. Sometimes it is, yeah. like obviously there's times when things don't work out, but most of the time it's just not right for that team or mm. that client or that 
support worker and that's okay. Mm. We take them out and we look at presenting them for other clients mm. if that's um, the appropriate thing to do. Yeah. Um, the beauty is the client has us backing, we've got their back. Mm. Mm. So if something's not going right in the house for some reason, they don't have to have that tough conversation. Yeah. We can have that tough conversation mm. and deal with that yeah. rather than the then. client having to do that and then replace mm. them and then do all that that goes along with that. And I understand that in the, especially when you're providing um, core supports, that there's a trend or I don't know if it's a trend, but it, it happens that support workers change organisations and take participants with them. Mm -hmm. Is that an increased risk in your business because the participant and the support worker have such a connection? It's always a risk. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that bug me <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's it's unethical mm. and it's not operating with integrity. Now, one of our core values is working with integrity. Mm. Those clients and support workers are part of the QSSS family mm. and we actually insist that, you know, in their contracts there's a no competition clause, for mm. example. So they're not supposed to do any of that. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. And we get quite upset when that happens because we're losing part of our family when yeah. that happens. Um, we're very open to robust conversations with mm. other um, providers that do that, um, but not at the expense of a client that says, you know what, I just want to do something different. Mm. And if they want to do something different, that's their choice. Yeah. And we'll work with the other provider to do mm. that. That is not a, that's not a bugbear. Mm. But when it's underhanded and unethical, yeah. that's rough. Yeah, mm. I, I completely understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, and do you think that this model is geographically limited? Is this just something that can happen locally because you have the brand and the resources? Or is this something, is this a model that can work across Australia? Well, well the reason we're nationally accredited now is, or registered now, I should say not accredited, um, is because it is the kind of model that can go anywhere. Mm. It really doesn't matter where we are mm. as opposed to where the service is delivered. Yeah. And what's beautiful about it is that we're going into sometimes very remote areas mm. and building the capacity of the local community mm. to look after their own. Mm. We don't fly people in. Mm. We go into a community, um, find the people that want to do the work, and they might not have the technical skills at that point in time, but we will support them to get those skills mm. through education or whatever it is that they need. Mm. So we're actually building capacities of sometimes very, very small communities mm. to look after their own. Mm. So it can go anywhere. Yeah. Happy mm. to go anywhere. Mm. Mm. Do you think that this model would, um, would work for other providers? And are you, are, you, are you hoping that other providers use this model and this becomes the way that, that disability support work is done? The whole reason we bought this business, and there's four of us, there's four directors, um, is exactly that. We don't care if people pinch our model. And we go out and we talk to other providers about our model because we believe it is a disruptive model mm. that works. Mm. And if one, two, thousand, fifty thousand people do this model, mm. it means more people are being benefited. Mm. You know, people with a disability are living their lives in the way that they choose to. Yeah. It's very scalable. It's extremely scalable. I guess where um, some of the bigger you know, providers or even some of the other just providers in general is that like what you've already identified it is it's you know there are more cost-effective ways of doing things mm. um, 
but guaranteed they won't have the you know the the you know the high degree of outcomes across the board that we've you know our clients have given the feedback on to us mm. you know our net promoter score is through the roof mm. um, and so there's a reason for that and it's because um, the we we truly partner with with our our clients our participants and you know we hear a lot of rhetoric around you know choice and control or person-centered care or whatever the vernacular you want to use and yet when you put it to muster it's actually not yeah it's it's not they're still you know recruiting for an organization not a person mm. they're still sort of setting the the rosters based on you know how they can you know fit their staff it's there's a lot of stuff that when you actually push comes to shove it's not that mm. whereas you know we like to think that we've we've got it that doesn't mean to say that we can't improve we can't do things you know we can't explore other ways of doing things or better ways of doing things but you know we feel like we're we're really doing the spirit of what the ndis what disability supports all about um, we feel like we've got something different that other people we're more than happy to share mm. what what further goals do you have around continuing this model and improving? Is it just that other people adopt it? Is it your continued growth across Australia? Where, where are your future aspirations? Yeah, we want to grow across Australia so we can demonstrate in more communities how it can be done differently. Mm. But it's not about just getting big. Mm. We don't want to be big and not deliver the same model. Mm. So it's a balancing act for us. Um, but the more places we go, the more people see that it can be done differently. You know, we charge less than the NDIS rate to our clients and we charge, uh, charge we don't charge our staff anything. <coughs> we pay our staff more. And it's because the model is very cost effective. Mm. Um, it can go anywhere. It can grow as much as it, it needs to. Mm. So a, a lot of businesses make decisions based on the bottom line. Mm. Um, not all, but, but a lot. Um, and things like profit and revenue are important things in business. If it is more profitable and more scalable, why aren't more people doing it now? Good question. <laughs> why aren't they? Because there is no reason why they shouldn't. Mm. Large corporate organisations would struggle to deliver mm. this model because they already have many, many staff locked into EBAs and locked into um, ways of doing things. Mm. But smaller providers and startup providers, 100% should be starting with a model like this. Mm. Mm. I think that's all the questions that I have for you. Was there anything else that you think is worth mentioning or you wanted to talk about in regards to your model and your disruption and your innovation? Yeah, from our from our perspective, what we're trying to do is not only model a you know or present a model. We also want to present an ethos as well. Mm. Um, you know, like what we were talking about with the whole sort of how you you mentioned potentially you know clients. I'll, I'll use the word pinched. Mm. Um, not that that that's that's probably the wrong way of putting it because that that insinuates ownership. There's no ownership, but you sort of get where I'm coming from with this. Um, you know, where it's, it's unethical behaviour, um, we want to also model, you know, the can, you can work ethically, morally, within a very good value-based 
organization while still being sustainable. Um, you know, we've always said all along that um, we're not in it for the profit. Um, you know, our profits, I'm sure we could maximize even more than what we're doing now. You know, we're not, we're not making a huge, you know, financial gain, but we are happy with sustainability. We're happy with what the mission that we're trying to achieve, the, the message that we're trying to send. Um, and, and, you know, we feel that we've got something a little bit different. From, from my perspective, it seems like what we've talked about is really a long-term play, right? Yeah. That the, yes, there's, there's in the short term, a little bit of extra cost to get the right people, mm. but long-term you've got, you've got staff staying longer yeah. and you've also got participants assuming that I'm assuming that participants stay longer hmm. and in a in a sector which is around working with people with permanent disabilities who will have these disabilities for life hmm. that means potentially your cost of acquisition goes down yeah. and hmm. all the other things because you're yeah. doing a better job yeah. so it's you know a long-term view of how do we you know, as far as maybe not being as profitable as you could be right now or mm. as large as you could be, it seems like that's a temporary thing because long-term the metrics would be in your favour. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and we, well, I mean, we want to do things responsibly. Um, and that's the, the key thing in all this is, is that we want to be, make sure that we are being responsible with growth, mm. um, with, with responsible with our strategic direction um, because as soon as you start sort of going for the big ticket items without sort of embedding what you've got, then that's when things can unravel. And it's not just, you know, the business that will run unravel, you know, with that comes a whole, you know, valued client cohort that that will essentially, you know, suffer because of it. And uh, a lot of awesome, dedicated, you know, brilliant support workers, staff, support specialists, you know, the whole lot that'll also suffer because of it. So we got to, that, that responsibility isn't lost. Mm. Um, so this model seems to be, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're applying this model to direct supports or core supports. Could this model work for other areas of the NJS, whether it be allied health or support coordination or mm. other areas still? Um, well, it, it works for any kind of supports that are in the home or in a SIL home. It doesn't matter where the supports are being delivered, mm. the model can work. So we're in SIL, we're in SDA mm -hmm. properties, mm -hmm. but we don't do property. Mm -hmm. We stick to our lane. We're very good at supports. Mm -hmm. We're not going to dabble in property. Mm -hmm. We'll work with providers who mm -hmm. want to do property, who are experts in probably mm -hmm. um, the building standards building and people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. we're not going to do that because whatever we do, we want to do it exceptionally well. Mm. Um, we're not going to dabble in support coordination mm. because it's actually, I think, unethical to be a support coordinator for a client mm. and delivering their supports. That's a there's a reason why those things should be separate. Mm. So we'll work with support coordinators um, very collaboratively mm. to make sure that, that whatever's going on for a client is um, what needs to be for, mm. for that client. Do you think um, that your model would work for support coordinators if they were to recruit support coordinators based on the participants' need or because it isn't, it isn't meeting their daily needs and you know, the, the intimate side of things that, where they're most vulnerable that it might not be as required? 
I'm not sure if it'll, <coughs> it's, it's actually, you know, um, you know when, when it comes to support coordination, some of that can be, you know, you, it's, it can be unplanned mm. with support coordination. And mm. so, um, you know, you with support coordination, it, it might just be what, whatever sort of, whatever phone call that's happened in the day or yeah. whatever sort of comes across your desk in that day. Mm. Um, what we do, you know, we are more than happy to, you know, help with support, the, you know, the support coordinators on things that we can help with. You know, we're very mindful of our scope, but sometimes we do have to sort of do a gentle support nudge. Yeah, <laughs> do a gentle nudge with support coordinators. Um, you know, we want to be that collaborative um, we almost insist on being that collaborative um, partnership with support coordinators, allied health, nursing, you know, the whole gamut. Um, and quite often we'll be the ones asking for that, mm. that partnership uh, among everybody um, so that, you know, we can all be on the same page. Um, there is unfortunately a lot of, um, I don't know, protectionist yeah, attitude of this is my client, I won't share anything. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, know, from a support coordination perspective, and I'll tell you what you need to do, and I'll tell you what you need to do, know, and I'll tell you know, this mob what they need to know. Whereas if we all work together, we'll be able to share what we see. Yeah. We'll be able to share what we're experiencing. And you know, given that, especially when it comes to support provision, um, most of the time our support workers are on the ground longer than any of the nursing, allied health, and you know, any others. So we see more. Yeah. Uh, we've got that connection more. Mm. And so it's only sensible that you tap into that. And we want others to tap into that mm. because it only helps nursing, it only helps allied health, it only helps social workers, yeah. behavior support specialists, all of those other people's uh, support coordinators mm. because we can get a really good picture as to how we can, as a team, in partnership with the client, mm get the best outcomes. Wonderful, great. Well, thank you so much for both joining me today. It was really, really wonderful to sit down and talk about your model and what you're doing in this space. And yeah, I really hope that more people do uptake this model and that, you know, I start seeing it around <laughs> and um, you can leave this as a legacy for the fabric of the exactly. NJS into the future. That'd be really That's cool. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. If, you um, if other people want to get in touch with you about your model or to have a chat about what you do, mm. what is the best place to get in contact with you? Just have a look at our website, www.qsss.com.au. All of our details are on there. And that, that's the best way. Just call us, email us, even for potential support workers. If you're interested in you know, coming and joining our team, you can put your application in there. Any potential clients who like what they, they're hearing, um, you know, come and reach out to us, support coordinators, the whole lot. All of our information is there. We've also got a YouTube channel. Um, if you just um, go on YouTube and, and look up QSSS, Q um, you'll see all of our um, videos, our origin story, our values stories, and even some really, really cool client journey stories as well. Mm, wonderful. Mm. Yeah, I've watched some of those videos. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Great. Thanks for joining me today, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on another enlightening episode of Innovate for Impact. 
Stay tuned for more thought-provoking conversations and innovative ideas that drive positive change within the NDIS space. Remember, together we're shaping a future where innovation and impact go hand in hand.